Pulp MX Network production. Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at btosports.com and click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. I'm your host, Steve Mathis, as usual. BTOsports.com, proud sponsors of the KTM team of Andrew Short, Matt Gerke, and uh, anything you need for your bike or body, BTOsports.com has it. You can use the code PULPMX. Save yourself money at BTOsports.com. Uh, all new website coming that's going to be smartphone friendly, and uh, they've got some good deals on shipping now. And they, uh, their tire prices are unbeatable. And uh, don't forget, free express shipping for all orders over 99 bucks inside the lower 48 states. BTOsports.com. Check them out on the web. And, of course, Fox Racing, the official gear of Ryan Dungey. Ken Roxon, uh, airspace goggle, um, their boots, the helmets, uh, unique gear. Everybody loves it. And uh, some of the best stuff out there. FoxRacing.com. Uh, Foxhead.com. Or go visit your local authorized Fox dealer. We thank those guys for coming on. All right, I've always got good uh, responses from podcasts like this one that we're going to do here uh, for you guys, and I thought it would be interesting to uh, to get somebody who's much, much smarter than me, and probably much smarter than you in terms of suspension and setting up a motorcycle. It's Race Tech Head of R&D, Rob Brown. Rob, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting. Like I said, I always... You know, I've done talked to Ross Maeda and Rob Hendrickson, and now all the time I feel like our listeners really learn things. You know, from a guy like you, smart people, not 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 dumb guys <laughs> like us. Uh, you were out at Glen Helen today testing, getting ready for the upcoming Glen Helen National. Um, nothing like trying to make super, uh, suspension work uh, for massive fourth gear, wide open G outs, and then those little tiny braking bumps. It's really easy, isn't it? Oh, super easy. Glen Helen has it really nice. A lot of elevation change, so it's like yeah. I need it really need it plush on the small stuff. But yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> let it uh, dive or bottom on the downhills. Yeah, yeah, easy yeah. For- yeah. Real, <laughs> real simple. No problem. Um, no problem. Got it. Actually, in your experience, what's tougher to nail: supercross setup or outdoor setup? I got to think supercross setup, right? Supercross is what I hear is more common for me, being mm-hmm. from the Midwest. Supercross or intercross is kind of what I'm more used to. Mm-hmm. So for me, the the motocross and the off road is a little bit harder for me than than the supercross or intercross stuff for me. Yeah, um, I always feel like the the local suspension guy, if he saw the shim setup and the spring setup and everything uh, for a supercross setting suspension, he wouldn't know what what the hell it was. You know, it's so radically different, right? Absolutely. I just got a request to uh, see Vince Freezy's Supercross setting because I want to test it over in Spain, and I was like, wait till they see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, right? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> hey, uh, you've so been at, that you, Yeah, right. You've been at Race Tech for, uh, oh, geez, I don't know, probably, uh, what, three or four or five years now? 
Um, uh, yeah, coming up on four years. Coming up on four years, and uh, no doubt Race Tech, you know, they're big parts of the Pulp Mech Show, parts uh, of this podcast also, and uh, they've done a lot of things. And I mean, Vince Freeze, third overall uh, as a full yeah. privateer in the E-Series, to the E-Series, that's pretty cool, using Race Tech stuff. So you got to be pumped Absolutely. on that. And then, of course, Blos. Chris Blos had a great season for a privateer. Yeah, we've had a really good year as far as, uh, you know, between Blos and Gilmore and Freezy and, and mm-hmm. you know, Lieb. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, we, we, I feel like we're making progress, and I feel like it's being noticed, and I'm quite excited on it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough for suspension companies because, you know, those guys, they get everything for free. So that's costing, you know, a suspension company a lot of, a lot of dollars, and, and if you don't get the results, it's like, oh, man, we're, you know, nobody really notices that guy out in, you know, 14th place or whatever using the suspension. But with, with your riders this year, you've got some really solid results. Yeah, I'm happy with it. And, you know, you've been around the game a long time. It's like uh, you could take someone like Freezy, set up, give it someone equal to him, and they can go, that's horrible. Or, you know, not everybody's exactly the same. So, you know, uh, actually <laughs> – Ross uh, kind of says it as kind of being the chef of suspension. You got to make it what they're looking for exactly. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Oh man, honey, I don't, <laughs> I don't envy you guys. I was, I was a mechanic for a long time, and you know our suspension guys, they, they're some of the hardest working guys out there. And you know, you you put something on in the morning, and it's good, and then by four o'clock, the the water's gone, the track's rough, and all of a sudden the rider's like, you know what? It's not that good. So, <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, it's funny you say that. One of uh newly employed jimmy wood but uh ex-road racer dirt tracker um really strong guy yeah but testing with him he uh he said it best one day he comes to me he goes you know what you're like a goalie you've never won every won anything but every time you lose it's your fault i'm like <laughs> thanks a lot it's actually pretty good it's actually a pretty good analogy i like it um yeah I'm just... what's your background in the sport what uh like you said midwest so uh what to talk a little bit about growing up and how you got into the suspension business? Yeah, I mean, kind of going all the way back to the, the you know, early, early ages of me. I was young, grew up kind of poor in a suburb out of Chicago. And uh, my training was running from cops in the forest <laughs> preserve. So that's where I kind of learned to ride. Yeah, yeah. And so I did that, grew into racing. And, uh, you know, eventually I actually wound up going into ATVs. Um, just because I suck at cornering, so yeah, yeah. ATV made it better for me, and I was always a good jumper, so kind of went into that. There was some money in it. Um, you know, what got me started in suspension, actually, is a guy, Todd Davis, which is my mentor, mm-hmm. um, which also works at Race Tech. He uh, designs all our G3S stuff. Okay. Um, he uh, left Race Tech and started a company called TCS, which was uh, Total Control Suspension. Okay. And uh, I was... I was kind of the man at the time on ATVs in a way, you know, as humbly as I could say it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I knew how to do rebuilds and tear stuff apart, and that's about all I knew how to do. And uh, he asked me to help develop the ATV line. Sure, new company, and yeah. uh, they were willing to give me product. I was all for it. All right. So kind of worked with him and kind of sent stuff back and forth, and I like my stuff stiff personally and was breaking stuff, and he's like, I'm tired of shipping the stuff back and forth. I'd rather just tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, he uh, he kind of took me under his wing and, and taught me stuff and said, here's ATV stuff, and I kind of learned how to do my own stuff. And um, I was racing for quite a while there. Yeah. And 
unfortunately, my racing career had ended. There's a place out in Illinois called Byron Motorsports Park, oh, been, which I've, you may know. Yeah, I've been there. I've been to Byron. Yep. I've been to Casey, a couple places I've been to, yeah. Yeah, so Byron, I, I was out there and uh, had an incident where I was doing a riding school and went off a big ski jump and unfortunately landed on a, a two-year-old child. Oh, jeez. And, and uh Nothing I could have done. You know, I wasn't there, and they kind of walked from the side of the track, and yeah. you know, I had no, nothing I could do. Oh, man, but that's terrible. That was kind of my uh, end of my racing career, and after that it was like, now what do I do with myself? And I lost all my will. You know, I didn't yeah. want to race anymore, and once you, you lose that want to win, yeah. it's gone. Hey, when and you say when you say uh, ATVs, are you talking three-wheelers or a ton quads? I don't know how old you quads. are. So. Quads. Okay, quads. all right, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, so I um, actually, when I was doing it, I was actually uh, kind of one of the first to do the custom chassis with, like, the YZ dirt bike engines and CRF engines and kind of to help develop a bunch of that stuff with uh, a guy, Mark Lager. So, oh, okay. Kinda, that's kind of where. So I got big into ATVs, and yep. then, like I said, when the incident happened, it was like, you know, I love the sport. I love teaching people. I love helping kids. It was like. I was always a big jumper and a, you know, I love whoops. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for me, it was like, how do I give back to the sport? And I was building all my own stuff at that time, engine and suspension. Mm-hmm. So I decided to, uh, and I was also managing a uh, motorcycle dealership, which used to be big was a dealership called Bonsai Motorsports. Okay. I don't know if you remember them. No, no. <laughs> they were, uh, we had like Josh DeMuth and Hoffmasters back in their oh, time. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, I was managing that at the time and decided to start my own business and start doing what I've been doing on my own stuff. Right. Well, why not, right? Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, you've been a mechanic. You, you kind of either use it or you don't, and, but yeah. you never forget it. Yeah. So uh, So you started st- I, started that? Started the, started a suspension business? Yeah, I started a you know, suspension engine company, performance, yeah. you know, ATVs. And actually, when I started the company, I... Uh, it actually happened because I was putting a, in a, one of the videos for uh, ATVs, and it was called Foreplay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> I started off with a company called Foreplay Racing. Nice. And uh, that sold a lot of T-shirts and uh, yeah, yeah. a lot of stuff like that, of course. That was, that was kind of neat. But uh, dirt bike guys don't take that too seriously. <laughs> no, well, Pingree, I met some quad guys at the Indie Dealer Show one year, and, and they all asked me where Pingree is because they all wanted to beat the crap out of him. Because he had made so he had made so much fun of quad guys over the years, and I'm like, dude, he's not here. And they're like, if we see him, we are going to beat him down. I'm like, okay, all right, I'll, I'll pass that on. <laughs> I've actually worked with Fingry a few times, and uh, awesome dude. And <laughs> I, I hope he doesn't find out I ride ATVs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's great, but yeah. So uh, kind of going back to it, I. Uh, I started doing it, and like I told you earlier, is uh, Todd Davis kind of took me under his wing on the ATV thing. Mm-hmm. I wind up going, dirt bike guys are not accepting the name 4Play Racing as a company name. Yeah, so yeah, I just, yeah. I turned it into a company called 4PR just so I didn't have a bunch of uh, paperwork to do legally. <laughs> 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 so so the company became 4PR, and uh, my marketing guy currently, Chris Reisenberg, he actually is the one that uh, made my new logo and did all that stuff for me. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. How the world is. But uh, so I kind of did that. And then the dirt bike guys, oh, they can accept that name. 
And uh, the same guy that taught me the ATV stuff, Todd Davis, I went to him and said I want to do dirt bike stuff. And, yeah. you know, he kind of, uh, with doing the ATV stuff and me developing that for him, he kind of took me under his wing with the dirt bike stuff and started teaching me. So I kind of went back and forth to California, and he kept teaching me. And I'm kind of a perfectionist, and I don't leave anything alone. So I kind of dug too deep to the point where he said, <laughs> I don't even know why you care about that stuff. But yeah, yeah. Keep digging if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep learning how to do it. Keep, keep, you know, trying to satisfy your knowledge, right? Yeah, I'm a. I like math a lot and like learning. So it's like those are my two favorite things. So yeah, suspension kind of fit that, and totally. That's kind of how I got into it, you know, and started my company. That became pretty successful and grew into a quite quite a large company, to be honest. Quite yeah, a lot of work and yeah, yeah. Um. I actually wind up uh, growing into other things like powder coating. We built custom frames for ATVs, and mm-hmm. we had a couple of dyno rooms, and you know it became a pretty big deal. Yeah. Oh, sounds like it. But it uh, kind of took away from me being creative, which is what I like to do. Yeah. And uh, you know, so it did that for quite a bit, uh, about four years, and uh, realized that if you work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you wind up destroying marriages. So I did one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know you're right. There's a, there's a balance there, man. And most, uh, a lot of people in the industry now don't have that balance. They don't have it. So, yeah. Until you tip the scale, I'm not sure you realize there is a balance. Yeah. 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 Especially now getting ready for first national. These guys, these guys, <laughs> these guys scales are all out of whack. There's no doubt. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just trying to, trying to keep it all together becomes hard at some point yeah yeah no absolutely um so how'd the race tech move come along i love it there um honestly going there and working for paul i mean that's the main reason i went there yeah how did that main reason how did they how did they find out about you how did paul get you how did that recruit you how did that work the my mentor todd davis yeah um came in there and created our g3s shock department Mm -hmm. and paul and him were talking and uh Paul said, I wish I had another one of you. No. And he goes, I got I got one like me. He's not cheap, but yeah. <laughs> you can probably get him out here. Okay. So uh, he said that, and like I said, I had gone through, just had gone through a divorce, and I was kind of like, yeah. eh, do I want to do engines? Do I want to do suspensions? I don't want to get as big as I was. I lost, you know, divorces are never good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was kind of just deciding what avenue I was going to take, and uh Paul asked me to come out, so I flew out, interviewed with him. He made me an offer. Um, I actually wound up going to Vegas from there, and then he asked me to stop back out on the way out if I could come see him again. I did, and, you know, the offer he made me was good. Yeah. Uh, But I was more intrigued by the fact of being around Paul Seed and being able to pick his brain. Like, that was very – that was a big interest in me is to, to have that. Yeah. Being from the Midwest, there was no no suspension companies even to compete against or learn from or right right you know for somebody to go oh their stuff's better than yours you need something to bounce against I guess yeah well and Paul Paul's been doing it for so long he's such a smart guy uh, very analytical you know very and, and it's very very odd uh, when I talked to him I told him I'm like why do you do these seminars you're showing it and he's just like I love it it's great I'm like yeah but you know you're starting a whole bunch of other Paul feeds possibly and he's like yeah yeah whatever he doesn't care. So it's really, really, yeah. really unique guy. A real unique approach to business, and 
it's no wonder that the company's been around for you know thirty years and been so successful. Yeah, for sure. He's he's uh, brilliant to say the least. <laughs> so you you decided, hey, screw it, screw the winners. I'm going to Cali. I'm moving to California. That's it. I figured, you know what? I got nothing to lose at this point where I was standing at that point. Yeah. And it was like, he made me an offer. I had a lot of equipment and other stuff that I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. And um, I had one customer that actually was interested in it. And I was like, hey, I'm looking to possibly move. You interested in it? And he's like, I can be there today and pay cash for it. I was yeah. like, yeah. You're like, sweet. Here you go. I didn't have to deal with equipment or anything like that, and yeah. then kind of said, "Well, Paul, I'd take the offer, but I needed three months to move out there and kind of yeah. did my thing." And, um, that was the move, you oh, know. Cool, yeah. And you're pumped to do it. You're, everything's going well. Things are great. Yeah. I, you know, learning a lot from Paul is it's, it's been amazing, honestly, for me. Um, what What has he taught? What, what's some of the biggest things he's taught you? Like what? What sort of opened your eyes up to, to different things? Is there anything, one or two things that you can pinpoint? Not, not one or two things exactly. I would say there's a million things he's taught me. Uh-huh. And um, a lot of it has to do, you know, I've tested with riders. I mean, you've been around it. You can you can make a rider happy with just some sag numbers and some clickers and yeah. some fork heights and triple clamp offsets. And I've been doing that for so many years and got results and – the good part of it was that I collected all the data. Yeah. Well, when I had gone to him, it's like, here's what I did. Here's all my settings. Here's everything I've done over the years with all different riders. And yeah. here's what it did. And here's the changes I made. And and they were all basically, um, you know, I read a lot and stuff. But mm-hmm. I went to his seminar back in late 90s as well. Yep. And, uh, so I had a bunch of different avenues. And then, you know, my mentor, Todd, you know, it's like yeah. I had a lot of things, but when I got to race tech, it's like, here's all the data. Here's what I know. And he was able to put the why behind all of it. Right. And it's like, here's the formula to everything that you created and why it works. Yeah. 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 You know, it works <laughs> yourself, Rob, you know, it works, but you're not exactly maybe sure why. Well, Paul will tell you why. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then of course also too, I don't know. Did you have dinos, uh, fork and shock yeah, dinos? Yeah. Yep. But, yep, I actually had a dyno prior to coming there as well. Okay, so I was going to say, uh-huh. those things really open up. Like, the first time I started working with one, I learned, I was, like, blown away. I'm like, oh, shit, look at this. Look what this does, you know? Yep. So, I mean, that's got to be a huge help to you, right? Yeah, absolutely. I actually was using, you know, before coming out to California, I was actually using a dyno and then some of the data acquisition. Okay. And so I was using a bunch of that, but... I was putting the pieces of the puzzle together based on experience. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a big school person based on where I grew up. So it's it's funny because you get around Paul and, and he'll give you the formula to why you smile. Like he has a math <laughs> formula behind everything. And, uh, yeah. and it, it's amazing that no matter what I think is just because, um, no, he's got a math formula for everything. What were the, what were the differences between a Midwest clientele and the, SoCal clientele. I mean, <laughs> I might get slapped for saying this, but uh, Midwest guys know how to go through whoops. <laughs> yeah, SoCal guys seem to struggle with whoops a lot. Oh yeah, really? Um, huh? and, and, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, hard pack slick of you know the SoCal here. It's just 
I mean, the chop here is unreal compared to Midwest. Yeah. Midwest kind of has a softy, softer, tacky, yeah, yeah. bigger breaking bumps with all, you know, they're mm-hmm. cupped out really bad for mm-hmm. like the outdoor stuff. But for us in the Midwest, most of our true outdoor tracks are really more of a stadium track. They're not really yeah. full blown outdoor tracks. They're more of night racing and stuff like that. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, like probably more man main stuff or whatever. Um, for sure. It was more flat. If you're, you know, I don't know how much customer stuff you deal with these days, and uh, you know, I'm sure you got guys underneath you that are, that are doing a lot of it. But what do you see from the normal, you know, Monday weeknight riding local guy? What mistakes do you see they have they do in their suspension? What do you? What's some of the things that you could like really emphasize if you're a local guy and w- things that they could do for their suspension? Installing forks properly would be the first thing. Yeah. The amount, of, the amount of guys that I see that the forks are actually pinched and uh, they're creating their own harshness is it's pretty unreal how many people actually run into that problem. Yeah. That would probably be my number one. Number two would be the amount of guys that say their bike's kicking and they instantly slow the rebound down so it stops and then ask you to revalve it and put more in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they can't quite figure it out. They're like, wait a minute. It's, now it's not doing. Now it's not working at all. Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, we deal with it all the time, and I always tell people, it's like, you feel a kick, unless that tire can push off a cloud, it's not a fast rebound that's pushing it into the air. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's going in on the way you're hitting the bump, and when you releases is after you've released off that bump. So, the best way I describe it is, if you speed up the rebound, as soon as that tire touches the ground is when you don't think there's a kicking problem. So, maybe try going the other way. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Also, too, the amount of guys that that don't set their sag, good God, people, you know, or or who have the the incorrect spring rate for their weight yeah. or speed, it's like incredible. It, it actually really is. We just did the um, the arena cross. They had the the finals over there at South Point in yeah. Vegas. Yeah, and uh, we were kind of laughing. I mean, like I said, I'm from the Midwest, and yeah, we didn't have much competition as far as suspension. But, you know, after learning all the numbers and, like, you kind of know what's going on. Yeah. And you get over there and all these guys are mostly Midwest guys or East guys, and they're getting there and one guy sags at 70, other one's guys at 150, and it's like, <laughs> it's unreal how far their sags were off. Yeah. And and we wound up actually working on probably a good 50, 60 bikes, you know, at the event. Yep. And, and uh not one of them was actually one of our customers. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 mind blowing, man. Or like, you know, get your bike sprung right, you know, for your weight. Or, you know, if you're heavy, don't just turn the compression, crank the compression. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It, it's uh, it's definitely or change the fluid every once in a while. I'm sure you you've poured out you've poured out quite quite a bit of metal looking stock suspension fluid in your day. Uh, yeah, I've seen a couple of sludge piles before. <laughs> yeah, you know. They're kind of funny. We dump them out, and it's like, okay, there's the fluid, and now what's this lumpy stuff that's coming behind it? Wow. Did you uh, you design some of your own fluid for Race Tech? Actually, um, I tested all the fluids when I first got there, and we, uh, you know, we were using a different brand at the time, and uh-huh. actually worked with uh, Spectro. We really were pretty impressed by their base fluid mm-hmm. and then uh, with a couple of tweaks and additives we're pretty impressed with the suspension fluid that we're currently running and, i mean as far as a, a fiction number goes their stuff is super slippery oh good good 
Hey, uh, I guess we should probably go back. So how do you properly torque your clamps, your, your forks? Let's tell yeah, everybody has a procedure, but I, I'm just the way I do it. I personally, uh, I tighten one pinch bolt on the non-caliper side, mm-hmm. and then I will actually tighten the axle nut. And once I tighten the nut, I'll actually re-release that, that pinch bolt. Mm-hmm. I'll go tighten both pinch bolts on the caliper side. And then um, I'll usually just make sure it's on a stand and the wheel's straight, and I'll spin the front wheel and just kind of snap the brake on a stand. Yep. And then lastly, I will tighten my pinch bolts on on the non-caliper side is the way I go about it. Yeah, and of course, torque them. Use a torque right? Yeah, absolutely yeah. torque. Torque is uh, it's surprising. We actually just did some testing with that, and uh, just torquing the uh, pinch bolts themselves on how much feedback it gives is pretty amazing how much of a difference that makes. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Everybody should have at least a torque wrench in their uh, in their toolbox for sure. Uh, Absolutely. Air forks. What's your th- What's your thoughts on those? And how how are they working? What are you doing to them? Uh, what do you think of them? Uh, talk about all that. The, the you know Pingree was just in here. He hates them. Uh, Ross Maeda said you know they're the future and they they need some bugs worked out, but it's the way it's going. A real real uh, real uh, divided um, opinion on air forks. I find. I 100% agree. I, I have people that, um, you know, I got Gilmore, loves an air fork. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Anderson loves an air fork. You know, I've got riders that swear by the air forks, and then I got Chris Bloss that if I put an air fork near him, he'll throw it at me. <laughs> and so yeah. it's like there's both spectrums. Um, I actually want to – I would like to challenge Pingree to see if we couldn't make an air fork work for him. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we could maybe line that up for him. He's just not a fan. He just <laughs> – you know, yeah. Well, I think he's more yeah. he's more against them, not so much performance. Just for the local guy, he feels like uh, you know checking your air pressure every time you go out is a pain in the ass. If your seal fails, one of your seals fail, you're done. Uh, he just doesn't see sort of the the benefits to a local guy as far as uh, uh, the maintenance and stuff. Yeah, I mean those points are really hard to argue. I mean, as yeah. far as maintenance concerned, there's definitely more work to do. Yeah, I mean it's hard enough to get a guy to check his tire pressure, let alone a fork. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I can I can see where he's coming from, and I will say I run into a lot of complaints at the track, and it's like my bike does this, it's harsh, and it's like it's when's the last time you checked the air pressure? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess somewhere in uh, asking about checking their fork air pressure, they thought I was kidding. So yeah, yeah, but, yeah you know. Like I said, I mean, there's riders that love them, riders that hate them. Yeah. My personal, you know, going into them, my first opinion was I was I was very skeptical whether or not the, you know, the longevity of them and how reliable they were going to be. And I was really scared of seal failures and yeah. what could come from a seal failure and what's the liability on me on top of that. Yeah, for sure, right? That That was a big concern of mine and, you know, after time, I've been proven wrong that these things are a lot more reliable and stable than I would have ever imagined. So, you know, I would have thought there would have been a lot more seal failures and things happening because of it. And uh, what I found is that it almost seems that because there's so much pressure in them that when you do get a little bit of dirt in there, it might lose a bit of pressure, but it almost like blows itself out. Right. And I've saw one failure in all my time, and it was at, it was in Europe at a GP. That was it. So I've never saw anybody here in America ride off the track with, you know, their forks down or anything like that. So, um, Yeah, I was at Comp Edge one day, and there was uh, one that rolled away 
front end down and uh that one went into a truck and that was the last i saw that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah really right uh, no doubt so, um so do you do a lot of business with them yeah we do yeah um, we do quite a bit of business with the air forks and you know a lot of people were hating on them and you know we've actually i feel like we've built something that is mm-hmm. at least uh pretty decent where people are buying a lot of the kits and doing a lot of installs and mm-hmm. you know you know just like you're saying i mean i still get some mixed feelings where people go no nah, it's just not for me yeah um i do get the the saying of that they're a little bit vague as far as the feedback mm-hmm. they don't get kind of that you know as i'll say i believe that the the ground puts a frequency into the spring that the rider can feel and kind of always gives you a consistent feedback where yeah therefore sometimes makes it where you can't feel the ground for for feedback from riders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about the single-sided fork, single-spring fork? Uh, of course, we're on a triple air now. We got air down at the bottom uh, for preload. We got air down for the spring now. We got air for for everything. Then, then some bikes still have the uh, spring in the one side fork, and uh, everything else in the other side. What do you think about those? You know, it's <laughs> if I was to have a choice on it, I'd just say leave springs in both sides. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing by any means. I've put in the damping on one side. It, it tends to be a, maybe a little bit harsher, but that could be some of the chassis that it's on as well, maybe not yeah. necessarily the component. Yeah. Um, as far as the, the damping is concerned, I mean, the air forks that we're about to use are virtually the same damping as what that, you know, that yeah. spring fork is, the SFF fork. Um But, you know, it's like you have one spring, it's like, oh, weight savings, and yeah, that, I, I kind of agree. I hear you on that, but the spring's twice as long it's as big. well. It's big, yeah, so. it's big and thick, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's big and thick, so it's, I don't know really what the weight savings really is. I've never actually scaled it to see, but, yep. you know, for me, it's like, you know, I've heard people go, the axle flexes this way, the axle flexes that way. No, I don't know about that. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Math, math says that can't be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm guessing but, uh, a rider cannot cannot tell that. That's just, that's just my own opinion. I've seen guys... Pretty picky, and the push bike's pretty hard. That seems hard to believe. Um, yeah, I agree. You know what was weird? One time, speaking of axe front axles, one time at Yamaha, we got some lugs made with a uh, square front axle. Um, and it was different. The guys noticed it compared to a round one. Really? Yeah, it was really weird. It was. Uh, they didn't really like it. We didn't end up running it, but it, it made a difference. Just to making an axle, a front axle square with the lugs and everything. It was really, really bizarre. But. Now, was it square going all the way through the bearing or just square at the mounting points? No, square at the mounting points. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. Um, uh, hey, lots of people wonder. So you got one thing that's great about Race Tech that you can see is, like a, like we were talking about, Freeze runs stock forks, um, yep. uh, does not run the, the kit forks, and then there's full works forks. Um, yep. As much as you know, or as much as you can explain, what is the difference for our listeners between a works fork, a a kit fork, and a stock fork? Like, what are the steps up? I mean, I've seen some works forks with two bushings, and of course, uh, titanium and uh, everything inside is lightweight, bigger capacity. Uh, but what, what do you think? What do you see? My opinion is that I believe that the the kit stuff. Um, you can manipulate it more. There's a lot more you can do with it as far as, you know, valving, staging, um, you know, spring seat stuff. And I think there's a lot more tunability to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the A-kit fork is, is it shines. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you wanted to have unlimited tunability, 
that's there. Yeah. Um, we've actually kind of took all those ideas, and they're becoming pretty standard these days, you know, as far as a low-speed valve and yeah. spring seat. That's becoming pretty pretty standard. Yep. That right now with the stock fork, we basically made all the components that are similar to what an A-kit is as far as spring seats and LSV valves. And, mm-hmm. you know, we the compression posts are usually stiffer on the or bigger in diameter on the A-kit stuff to prevent failure. Mm-hmm. And we just we actually just made a stainless steel version of it to get the same strength out of it as a replacement part. Okay. But as far as, you know, the rest of it, it's like, yeah, there's a little bit of coatings and stuff and, you know. Yeah. But uh, for me, I don't think there's a big difference. I mean, I had Freeze on stock stuff and Blos was on stock stuff and Gilmore was on stock components. So, I mean, we've had a lot of, a lot of top 10 guys. I have leave on that as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's like, well, how far could I get you to finish with a stock component? Well, yeah. Freezy just finished third in the points. I, I'd say at least that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's funny how you get people and they go, well, what's, who rides your stuff and what's the best rider you've got? And it's like, does that, I have to sell myself on who I've done stuff for? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, uh, I think a larger oil capacity would help a lot of times. But now you're looking at uh, triple clamp sides and things that people, normal people, can't do. You know, you can't get works triple clamps to fit works forks to get the fifty millimeter or fifty two. Is it one of those white power ones? Fifty two, I think. Fifty two. Yeah, fifty twos. Yep. You know, you can't you can't really do that. It's not feasible for a local guy. It gets really pricey really quick, and yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, we've kind of made ourselves known for the, the privateer thing. And uh, it's kind of the guys we're looking for. It's like, take take the privateer guy. Can, yeah. They can't afford it. Some guy, I mean, I have guys that are B riders and C riders that have full A kit. And it's yeah, like, yeah. hey, you know, I wish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my pocket doesn't say that's okay, but some people can afford it. And if you can, and you have a tuner that can work with it and, mm-hmm. and use what its capacities are, then great. Yeah. But I really believe that, you know, the stock component, I think it gets the average guy by just fine. Yeah. Well, obviously, look at the results, right? Um, That's kind of what I'm selling on. Yeah, yeah, no no (laughs) doubt about it. Um, And then uh, as far as the shocks, I remember when I was at Yamaha, we had 18-millimeter shock shafts. And uh, is that that still – are they still going bigger with the shock shafts? Or I noticed uh, with aluminum frames, they kind of went back down to smaller 16s and – and all that, uh, do you see a bigger shock shaft helping, or is that something that the works forks or works uh, suspension guys are doing? Yeah, we have, we have actually built a uh, stock replacement shaft kit. It's actually 19 millimeters, mm-hmm. um, and it's that whole bigger is better thing. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it really for us, it, the bigger shaft is for us is a safety issue. Um, I mean, if you got a bigger guy and the damping forces we're putting on these things, and and he clips. You know, a step on, step off, or clips a landing just right. Yeah. 16 mil shafts will fold or break, and you know that's kind of why we built the shaft kits. Is you know we've yeah we've watched a lot of guys push their bikes off the tracks with bent shafts and go, hey, we make a shaft kit for that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That, I'm, you guys probably are the only ones. I don't know if anybody else does that. I, not that I know of. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of guys, uh, Factory Connection, actually, you know, props to them. They actually were selling a, a 18 millimeter. You know, basically, kit shaft yep. or the stock body. Yep. That was a that was a great component. And that's kind of what we were doing for a while, and then it's like, well, we can just make one as well. And yeah, you know, we kind of did the, 
you know, make it more tunable. So we got more detents on the rebound adjuster. And then we, uh, we actually built the check valve into the shaft, which, you know, like, just like the heat kits are. So, mm-hmm. you know, for supercross and stuff like that, you can control the low speed damping on everything. So that's kind of the route we took. But as far as performance goes, you know, 18 millimeter shaft with a 46 millimeter body with, you know, like the older Yamahas and stuff, like, that was fine because you had some flex in the bodies, but it seems like with the 50 millimeter bodies, mm-hmm. it, it becomes a little hard. Right, right. Especially an aluminum chassis. Absolutely. Yeah. The rigidness of the chassis, and then you, you take a 50 millimeter body, an 18 millimeter shaft, and it, there's just not much to flex. Yeah. And I feel like you start to pick up a lot of the, the smaller, choppier, you know, high frequency stuff that'll transfer right into the bike. Do you guys do much WP? We do quite a bit of WP, yep. and we are actually, uh, we've kind of united with them, and uh, we're a WP center now, so we actually carry all the OEM parts, and yep. I mean, you know, a lot of people talk about Shoei kit and KYB, but man, WP stuff, they have some nice stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard it's they like, co- I, a few years ago, I think Showa was really pissed because they just copied a Showa works fork. Uh, <laughs> maybe that was maybe, you know, five, six years ago. Um, there was even talk like Showa was going to sue them or something. I don't know. Somehow they got their hands on a Showa works fork. But I think now to 2014, they're they're doing some cool stuff. They have some really nice stuff. And in this industry, I've never seen anything copied before, so that's a first. Yeah, yeah, really, right? <laughs> so it's shocking, uh, shocking. I know. I don't think they're the first one to do something like that. Right. But uh, no, I mean their components are good. Uh, you know, they're they're shocked. The new track shock they got and the idea behind mm-hmm. it's actually pretty neat. Mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, you know, yeah. it maybe uh, see that growing into okay. other brands. I'm, but... con- I'm confused. What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the WP track shock, basically what they have is when you apply pressure to it, it actually slows the rebound down. Sorry. So it's actually applying pressure to the rebound needle actually make it a little bit slower. Sorry. And as it releases, it actually unloads that needle and speeds it up. Almost like a check valve at first, and then it stops. Then it acts differently. Yep. Then it acts like a normal shock. As soon as you get it, like you get it on the ground, it's all yeah. you know needles engaged at a normal spot. And uh-huh. then uh, as the clevis releases, it actually extends and opens that needle up and lets oh, the tire wow. track up. Oh, is this something new on their bikes now, their production bikes? It's their their kit stuff. It's oh, their, okay. They call it the track shock. It's oh, pretty okay. neat. The, uh, the stuff that they can buy, their racer services stuff or whatever. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yep. Um, if you have the exact same rider, Rob, and he's choosing between a, a, a Japanese bike and a KTM, same speed, same same guy, and you have to revalve stuff, do you revalve much differently for a steel frame? I have. Yeah. Um, with the KTMs, for whatever reason, I'm actually running a, a decent amount more spring in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, and the valving is... I don't know the exact reason behind, but the KTMs tend to transfer a little bit more as far as the harshness in the front end. So paying a lot of detail to the mid-valve on those things has been really critical on okay. getting those things from being harsh. And uh, they, they run a smaller valve on that as well. So, you know, whether it's the chassis, the, yeah, you know, for whatever reason, but it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like the Yamahas do this and the, the Cowies do this a little bit. If you don't have enough trail in the bike and you go from on throttle to off throttle, you get just a, a little bit of a twitch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the KTM kind of has that same little on-off throttle twitch, and it seems like the more you can hold that front end up, the the shorter that twitch becomes. 
as far as the geometry of that yeah. bike. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, all all stuff you've figured out over the years, and and you and uh, so when you're stuck with something, you're thinking about it. You're sitting there with your pencil. You just walk into Thede's office and say, "Hey, figure this out." <laughs> yeah, I just bring a piece of paper down there and say, "Here, write something that works." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, Paul's still day to day, hands on with with everything that's going on there, and I imagine, like you said. He's a smart dude, man. Yeah, really smart. I mean, I, I'm literally with him at least half of my day every day. So it's like mm-hmm. if I'm at the track testing, we're constantly bouncing ideas off each other. So yeah. um, I'm extremely close with him as far as feedback. And, you know, it's I feel like, you know, he's been doing this a long time, got a ton of knowledge. Yep. But nothing I'm doing today doesn't get reported back to him that, you know, he learns everything I learn. Yeah. So. Yeah. Keeps him up to date. Yeah, really, right? I know I got him to explain seat bouncing to me on our podcast we did, and uh, about ten, <laughs> about about two minutes in, I was lost. I was just no. So you learned about center of gravity. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he, I said, tell me about seat bouncing. Teach me, Paul. And uh, anybody who wants to listen to that podcast, by the way, go into the uh, uh, Steve Mathis archive, search Paul Feed on iTunes or whatever, and you can dig it up. It's probably two years old now. But uh, also, if uh, if you're into getting your suspension done. Uh, save save twenty percent at Race Tech. Pulp MX twenty fourteen is the code. You'll save money uh, getting your suspension done. And who knows? Maybe Rob himself here will uh, actually do the suspension. Do you do much customer stuff? I do. Okay. Um, so yeah. So there you as go. As of right now, I'm every spring rate, every valving stack that is put out of Race Tech initiates with me. There you go. So it all it really does all come from me. Um. um Oh, that's good. Working on stuff, I build. You know, I build quite a few sets a week just to keep my hands in it and make sure that uh, right everything that I think on paper is going in there is actually going in there when installed. Ah, there we go. So save yourself some money at Racetech. Uh, Racetech dot com. Uh, this is the BTOSports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. BTOSports.com. Save yourself money there too. Pulp MX code uh, upon checkout and uh, save yourself some cash on. Uh, Anything you need for your biker body, they got OEM parts now. And uh, also Fox Racing, foxhead.com, Dungey, Rocks, and Wear the Gear, uh, many others. You've seen it uh, out there for years, so we thank them. And listen to this Race Tech commercial on this podcast. And like we said, uh, use the code to save yourself money. And we'll be right back with uh, Rob Brown from Race Tech. BTOsports.com, RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Hey, I want to talk about privateers and what they choose for suspension. Yeah, that's right. Some of the top privateers, most of the top privateers out there, choose Racetech. Long been supporting the world's fastest privateer since 1984. Michael Lieb, Vince Freeze, Chris Blows, Cody Gilmore, and many other guys uh, choose uh, Racetech suspension. And they've been around a long time. And their their work stands for itself. Don't forget, people, at least uh, change your oil in your new bike. And use Racetech to do it. Some of that stock oil isn't that good. Uh, Racetech's the world's largest aftermarket motorcycle suspension modification company. 30 years they've been supplying racers, riders, and tuners with the industry's best suspension products. Paul Fee, the owner of Racetech, one of the smartest guys out there, and uh, the creators of the do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Racetech.com for a full listing of suspension parts, tools, and information. Racetech. Go there. Make your bike handle better. Do it. Racetech.com. Thanks for listening. 
All right, we're back on the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast. Rob Brown. Um, Rob, which, which production bike needs a lot of suspension help and which one doesn't need much suspension help? Do you see, is there, do you see that? Um, I'll say the new RMZ 450 is uh, quite stiff, to say the least. Yeah, production just stiff. Um, yep. Out of the box, the RMZ 450 is pretty surprisingly aggressive on their valving. Um, you know, I, I really feel it's like, you know, if there's something that really needs something, it really has to do with rider weight and ability. I mean, yep. there's no saying, you know, hey, you can jump on us. But, I mean, all the bikes now are, man, out of the box. They're pretty solid yeah, yeah. on an average guy. I mean, you know, it's like, do I need to get suspension done? Well, if you weigh 100 pounds, yeah, you do. <laughs> if yeah. you weigh 300 pounds, yeah, you do. Right. If you're 160 pounds and you're an average rider. <laughs> if you're a 160-pound mid-pack B rider, you should be good. Yeah, you should be all right, you know. And and it depends on models. You know, some bikes are way oversprung and overdamped, and yeah. some bikes are undersprung and underdamped. So your make and model has a lot to do with every, you know, every bike, really. There's a there's a magazine out there that drives me crazy because every single thing they talk about with a stock bike, they're like, you need to get some offset clamps, offset clamps, offset clamps. And I'm just like, come on. I mean, some bikes some bikes need it. I mean, as a factory mechanic, we used offset clamps, you know, in a lot of lot of places. But come on, you can you can help yourself without buying clamps uh, by just revalving, respringing you know, dialing in your suspension. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's bikes that, you know, yeah, do we work with different offsets? It's like we use them all the time. You know, we look at the the KX450. That thing, if you change the offset on it, it's actually pretty surprising how well that thing works. Mm-hmm. It really likes about a 21, 21 and a half degree offset, or millimeter offset, I'm sorry. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what we do with all these bikes is, you know, it's, it sounds funny, but, it's not like any of these brands have ever copied each other at all. Mm-hmm. But um, what we will do is we actually have a, a Scheibner machine. Yeah. And uh, we will actually shoot the thing and see what the geometry of the bike is. And it's like these things are so close. And the ones that are off, we pretty much adjust right back to the ones that work. I yeah, mean, yeah. it's not, I mean, we're not really inventing the wheel. We're just going, hey, why'd you guys do this? Cool, let's put it back to where it should be. Yeah, it's it's uh it's crazy how similar the bikes are nowadays, for sure. And even like, even their motor designs and stuff are getting to be more and more similar, you know. Um, other other than Yamaha, <laughs> uh, they just put it in back. What's that? They just put it on backwards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you <laughs> do you find that the new Yamaha is a better machine chassis wise than the first edition of that uh, backwards model thing? I, that's the feedback I'm getting from riders and teams. I feel like they've made a lot of progress. Yeah. Um, I feel like the newest one, a lot of people say it looks really tall. It's just the plastic. It's not as tall as it looks. Mm-hmm. Um, they cut the side number plates. You know, one of the numbers that we, we jokingly say is if you measure from the axle to the, the fender, you can pretty much vertically, you can measure 630 millimeters basically every single time on every bike. And uh, the Yamaha is no different when it comes to that number. So the yeah. height is actually yeah. the same as the rest. But the side number plates are so short that it really does look tall. Um, but I feel like they made a ton of progress on that bike. Do you think they got rid of the uh, the spiral pipe around the shock, right, in the new one? 
Yeah, then instead of being spiraled right in front of it, it actually just goes around the motor and just passes through right. like a normal bike. So do you? I think that was a bad idea. Do you? Did you find any evidence that that uh, hurt the shock performance? Not at all. Okay. All right. Like I said, it's a good idea. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So you did, okay. So you yeah you you didn't. Uh, that's why you're smarter than me, Rob. Uh, yeah. So so no diff no uh, no shock performance issues there. I know JGR ran a heat shield and stuff, and uh, it didn't seem good. It was all bundled up in there underneath the seat, but you you know you're the one looking at this stuff and testing it. You know we've tested it, and I'll do a lot of shock temps on it, and you know right at the exhaust leaving the head, you know you're seeing 1,200 degrees. And so yeah, there's a lot of temp there, but if you really look at how open it is, yeah, it's pretty open. Like it's there's a big wide open space on that, and. Uh, if you look at like a normal shock on any other engine, it's stuck. It's basically trapped between the air boot and the exhaust pipe. Mm-hmm. So, my opinion is, is like you're there's that same. You know, it might be a little bit lower temp by the time it gets to that point, of course, but it's not confined to a small little area. It's pretty wide open. So, based on you know temp shooting shocks all the time, I haven't noticed a major temperature change at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, which kind of surprised me because first looking at it, I'm like, oh, that was dumb. And then I yeah, yeah. It, I'm like, well, not doing what I thought I was going to do. Yeah. Um, so. Do you ever you ever go into Paul's office and ask him about the story about him costing Doug Dubak a Ponca City Championship from his shifter? All right. He doesn't talk about anything that he did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, to ask him about the shifter that cost Dubak a Ponca City National. I'll ask him, but he'll probably go, uh, what's for lunch? Yeah, yeah, really, right? <laughs> um, hey, KTM 65s, uh, you guys have those things pretty dialed. What uh, What are you doing to them? Starting over. <laughs> uh, the shocks were, you know, shocks aren't that bad. We're just doing a, a simple revalve, and we're actually using a, a progressively wound spring just for the lack of linkage and the progressiveness of that. Um, front end, we... It's referred to as a big piston design, which means it basically uses the uh, chrome tube as its cartridge. That's mm-hmm. where all the damping is being created. Mm-hmm. And the way it's designed stock, it's referred to as an emulsion. So it's basically oil and air mixed in the same chamber. What we did is actually we took like a shock and we basically have a reservoir and we actually put it inside the center of the spring. So the spring actually holds it in place. Oh, okay. And our, now our forks are 100% full. So there is no no cavitation and it, you know it, it's very yeah. consistent feel yeah and we switched from a uh, a spring loaded damping style to a, a typical bending shim damping yeah, style. yeah shim style right huh so, um wow i know what we did with that it's kind of the same thing you did with the vintage bikes then same same idea yeah my that idea spread to a lot of stuff <laughs> <laughs> you know we we kind of did it on that, and now the Groms are, you know, the new Honda Grom. That thing's become popular, and it's the same style. And, oh, yeah. And I and I kind of took it from my road racing in 09. The ZX-6 went to that same style, so I had some experience on that style of fork yep. to at least know where to start. So is the KTM thing, is that like an automatic, if there's a dad listening to this, is that thing three seconds a lap? Stamp it, guaranteed, faster? You know, we have a rider, Aiden Tejero, and uh, it's, it's my best story of that kit, and uh, – we went to the ranch out here in Southern California, and he, he qualified a fourth. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, he qualified last spot, and that was good. After that, that week, we actually put that kit and, 
let's test it out and send it out there. And we, we tried a couple settings, and he liked it. And I think the next race for him was Mammoth and then uh, and maybe the Verb Classic or something like that. And yeah. So basically, whatever the next race was, it was Mammoth, I guess. And uh, he wound up winning that. And then he went to the Verb Classic, won that. Then he went to Ponca, won that. Then he went to Loretta's, won that. And then he went overseas to the Czech and won the World Mini GP. Oh, shit. Check it out. You can't buy that kind of advertising. So, all right. You know, it's like pat myself on the back. Well, it did all right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, go ahead, right? Um, and then uh, the vintage stuff, it, it seems to be, you guys seem to be the place to go for vintage stuff. Uh, I know Paul was we working. We do Paul, a lot. Yeah, Paul's been working on that for a long time, and then I imagine you're, you're knee-deep in it too, these vintage kooks. Uh, they uh, they seem to love the race tech, race tech stuff. Yeah, the vintage stuff for Paul, he says it's not vintage. This is what I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Paul's like, I I was doing this for Dubok. Don't worry. I know, yeah. I know this, you know? He goes, I think I tested with Dubok last week on that setting. Yeah, yeah, really, right? <laughs> um, but, it, yeah, it's definitely popular. So. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you look at what Paul's done. Like you said, we've been around for 30 years. Yeah. There's nothing you can't bring to him. He goes, oh, that's a 78YZ250. Or, yeah. You know, he, he, right off the top of the head, and it's like, I don't even know what this thing does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. And he knows exactly why diameters, and he, he knows everything about the thing. It's like, yep, this is why I love having him as a teammate. It's like, what I don't know, he does, and, yeah. and uh, what he doesn't know, he goes, makes me find out. So <laughs> it works out well. What... Uh... And what's a big part of business that maybe people would be surprised to know about uh, that Race Tech does? Like, obviously, we just covered all the Supercross stuff and dirt bike stuff, but is there a segment of Race Tech that people would be surprised to know that they're, you guys are doing and doing well in? You know, the one thing I hear a lot is people don't realize we're going to do so much road racing stuff. Yeah. Um, we have a full line of shocks, we have our own forks. Um, we do quite a bit of, of street stuff. And I, I think that's the one that kind of surprises people, you know, depending on who it is and what they know. Some people don't know we do dirt. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it kind of depends on your listener. But, I mean, based on the listeners here, I, I would think, you know, street would probably be the one they don't realize. But, yeah. I mean, you really look at what we do. I do every genre of everything. So, I mean, I do UTVs and ATVs and dirt track and hill climb and yeah. moto and well, you, know, you know, all the way, everything that has a shock on it, basically, Paul says, go figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then I give him, say, give me a math equation. We work together to make it work. Huh. But, um, yeah, I would say, you know, just people not realizing that we do literally everything is yeah. kind of a. Yeah, the, the UTV market is, is, is something that's booming in SoCal. It is. And, uh. I refuse to get in one of those things. I test with them, and I, I'm not getting in one. <laughs> and that's it, right? It doesn't take you back yeah. to your quad days? It doesn't take you back to your quad days? No, there's a steering wheel on it, and it's all wrong. Yeah, yeah, good point. You got yeah, you got, you got a good point. Uh, <laughs> I need handbars still. Right, right, right. Um, I might be able to use a thumb throttle, but I've never used a steering wheel. <laughs> man, I went to, in 98, I was working for FMF Honda, and my rider got hurt, so they sent me to Loretta's. This is 98. They sent me to Loretta's. And then I had to stay there the next week for the quad nationals, which I didn't even yep. know existed. And and that was like stepping into a time warp because no one had made – there hadn't been a TRX made since, God, I don't know, 91? <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever yeah. it was. Whatever TRXs were stopped. So everyone, had, yeah, so everyone had TRXs. 
and they were all just desperately trying to keep them together, you know, now because they were they were now ten years old or whatever, and and some guys had gear that they was ten years old. It was like walking into a time time machine into like nineteen eighty nine. It was bizarre. But TRX is. You didn't notice every single truck had a welder sticking out of the back of it. They did, yeah. They had welders and everything. Yeah, it was <laughs> nuts, man. A few guys had Suzukis and stuff, but I'd say eighty-five percent of the field were TRXs. For sure, that yeah. that was the most competitive thing, and even to today, like the newer ATVs are all designed off of that same platform. So are they really still? Yeah, they made, they're making same. a bit of a comeback, or they have made a bit of a comeback. Like Yamaha, uh, four strokes, of course now, but uh, yeah, made a bit of a comeback. Yeah, they kind of come and gone, and they're not as quite as popular as they were a couple of years back. Oh, okay, yeah. The, the OEMs kind of pulled out of it, but uh, you know, I'm, I, you know, it's it's interesting. I'll say it as a as a quad guy, it's like cornering. Anybody can ride one. Jumping one, mm-hmm. mm, maybe not so much. <laughs> what about the Chino Charger, Gary Denton? He was a race tech guy. He was a race tech guy forever. He's a bad dude. Yeah. Yeah, he came to. Uh, I'm from Canada. He came up there to, to race in arena cross, and he he won the quad pro class, and then he got like fourth in the in 250 pro, bikes. So, <laughs> back to back yeah. for for Denton. Um, all right, man. Well, hey, thanks for doing this. I appreciate. It. I think we I think we educated some people out there. So, people learn how to torque your your uh, triple clamps correctly the way Rob wants to. Check your sag. Uh, get your right. Get your oil changed. Get the right spring right. And, I mean, look, yeah, this is Rob from Racetech, and, and we're promoting Racetech, but just do it anyways, even if you don't want to go to Racetech. We're just trying to help you enjoy your riding your dirt bike better. But, of course, you know, if you do go to Racetech, Pulpamex 2014 saves you 20%. So, there you go. So, just people look after your motorcycle. Right, Rob? Absolutely. Did you uh, mention to listen to Pulpamex? Just, I'll say that part. Yeah, listen to Pulpamex. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, but hey, congratulations on the uh, success of Vince Freeze and uh, Gilmore and Blows. They just killed it this year, and it does seem uh, the last couple of years that Race Tech has really got some momentum back. Uh, you know, I know they did Motor Triple X stuff back uh, a few years back, but it seems like Race Tech is really getting some momentum the last couple of years with these privateers. And Michael Leave, of course, also has done some good things with Race Tech. And uh, a big part of the pat yourself on the back, man. It sounds like you you guys are really kicking ass. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, we definitely um, we're there for the privateer, and that's kind of what I do. And you know, we have a lot of privateers coming on board, and I welcome all of them. I mean, we're really kind of that's the guy we're looking to help, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're doing right now. And and you know, they do test directly with me, and and that's how I develop stuff. I mean, people look at Race Tech, and and the truth is, everything that we do in house is really R and D. It's not a, a financial income part. It's developing all the settings that go into the gal- the gold valves that we sell to the public. That's yeah. really what we do. Yeah, the gold valves, are, that's a good mover. I think that, those things work. I think we sold a couple. Yeah, just a few. Just a few over the years. Just a couple. And, of course, uh, the suspension seminars going on in the fall, right? Yes, suspension seminars. And we actually uh, do a test and tune day now, which I usually make Freezy come out and ride for me and see how good he really is. <laughs> and, uh, nice. I'm testing the suspension, but I'm also testing him. And so far he's passed. But, uh, yeah, the seminar, I mean, Paul does it so cheap. I don't even understand why he does it that cheap. But, hey, it, <laughs> you yeah. know, everybody that comes to it is like, I think the price is wrong, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. He does it really, really cheap. And uh, and it's amazing how much you learn from it. And I actually I teach a part of it. But truth is I sit in for a bunch of it as well because 
I still learn stuff every time I'm in there. Yeah, it's crazy, man. No doubt. I, be, I bet you, too, those are se- seminars. I bet you there's guys that show up there that are like, man, I am going to stump Paul. I'm going to look like the smartest <laughs> nerd here, uh, suspension nerd here. And then they put their hands up, and then whatever they ask Paul, I have no doubt he knows. He knows the answer. Uh he gets challenged a lot, and I haven't seen him lose yet. That's what I mean. I'm sure there's a lot of jerkies <laughs> out there. They're like, I'm going to challenge Paul Thede in this theory or that theory or, or stump him on this. I guarantee you they can't. I, I guarantee you. There's no way. Every time I see someone do it, I put my head down laughing like, oh, you have no <laughs> idea what you're in for. Exactly. No doubt about <laughs> it. Uh, the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Uh, head R&D at uh, Race Tech, Rob Brown. Thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. I feel like we've educated some people uh, in this thing. And uh, like I said, Racetech.com and uh, 20% off. Use Pulpamex 2014. And uh, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. No problem. I'll uh, save you a seat in seminar. We can sit by each other. Yeah, fantastic. I can ask him all about my 1990 KX in my suspension. Oh, boy. You're in trouble. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks, yeah, no, Rob. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. Thank you for doing it. Very good. All right. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbic is that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. And I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pit and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. Been no problem. My my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. 
stuff that you could you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts.